So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. We humans are relational beings by design. As Christians, we have a glimpse into this mystery of our relational nature because we believe we are created in the image of a relational God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the likeness of the Most Holy Trinity, we are each person wonderfully and uniquely made, and at the same time created to be in relationship, in union with God and one another. Because of this interconnectedness, all that we do as individuals affects not only ourselves and not only our relationship with God, but also our actions affect the people around us. Like a stone thrown into a glassy pond, our actions send forth ripples that reverberate and affect, for better or for ill, both God and our neighbor. And we see this principle in high relief in the story of Jonah. In today's reading, Jonah is called by the Lord to deliver a message to the people of Nineveh. God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Somewhat astonishingly, when Jonah goes and delivers the message to the people of Nineveh, they listen and respond accordingly. They repent. The entire city, from the greatest to the least, from the king to every last citizen, repents of their sin, turns from their evil ways, the violence of their hands, the scriptures say. They fast, put on sackcloth, and sit in ashes. So profound is their change of heart that God himself, it says, has a change of heart. And God has mercy on them. And the city is saved. Jonah's actions his obedience to God, have a profound effect on the people of Nineveh. I mean, that's an understatement. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, you also know that there's an important bit that I just skipped. The story does not begin with Jonah's obedience to God. Quite the opposite. There are only four chapters in the book of Jonah. Today's lesson begins at chapter 3, where the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, it says. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. This is the second time the Lord sends Jonah to Nineveh. What happens the first time? Well, Jonah disobeys God. When God first calls Jonah, he refuses to go. In fact, he doesn't just refuse to go, he buys tickets, he spends money to run away from God, boards a ship, and heads in the opposite direction of where God has called him to go. Why does Jonah disobey God? Well, there's an important answer to this question, which we will address shortly. The scripture says that Jonah fled away from the presence of the Lord. But as the psalmist so wisely writes of God, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. 
I think it's safe to say that God is not amused with Jonah's decision. And so the scriptures tell us that the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors are terrified and wonder who it is on the boat that is inviting such calamity. They cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah. The scriptures say, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Take me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah's actions affecting others. They agonize over the prospect of throwing a passenger overboard. Can you imagine? But the storms increase, as, as does their fear, and finally they give in. And so they took up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah's disobedience to God's call does not just affect him. It also affects those around him. In this instance, his fellow shipmates. But somehow, amazingly, God still uses Jonah, even in his disobedience, to bear witness that he is the one true God. We learn that the sailors, essentially, they convert. They feared the Lord exceedingly, it says, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God, in his goodness and grace and mercy, has the power to redeem even our bad choices to reveal his glory to the world. The sailors are safe, but Jonah is adrift at sea, and so the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah, perhaps the most famous part of the story. He's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. During this time, Jonah cries out to the Lord, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and thou didst hear my voice. The Lord has mercy on Jonah and hears his cry. He speaks to the fish, and it spits Jonah out of its mouth and onto dry land. And this is where our passage picks up today, where the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I can imagine Jonah exhausted on the beach, clothes all torn. It's all covered in whale slime. And God is like, okay, now let's try this again. Arise, go to Nineveh, etc. It's the exact same message. It's the exact same mission. Only this time, Jonah obeys. The second time, Jonah makes a better choice. How often do we humans in our stubbornness, insist on learning the hard way. What is true for Jonah is true for all of us. When it comes to God's call on our lives, we can run, but we cannot hide. God will continue to pursue us. He does not quit. We may, but he does not. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we could somehow disappear and slip off of God's radar, but in truth, we're no different than Adam and Eve in the very beginning, fooling ourselves, really, not God, into thinking that we're safely hidden from his view. 
We're no different than a toddler trying to run away from their parents. We can't even navigate the staircase, let alone the front door or the family car. We're in God's house under his loving care, and he has a unique and particular plan for each one of us. The question is not, should I or shouldn't I follow God's will? The question is, what is God's will for me? That's why our Lord instructs us to pray with great regularity, thy will be done. God will never stop pursuing us and calling us and inviting us to live and love and serve for the purposes in which he has created and redeemed and equipped us. And all the while, during this little daily dance of call and response that we do with the Lord in our lives, every decision that we make in accordance with his will or in contempt of it has an effect on the people around us like a stone that ripples the still water of a quiet pond. God's mission in this life is a mission of mercy. He saves us by it, and he calls us to participate in it that others also might be saved by his mercy. Which brings us back to Jonah's initial disobedience, that first time he was called. And here we come to the very exceedingly uncomfortable part of this story. So to begin here, I'm going to invite you to pick the country or the world power or even the political party or group of people that you revile the most. The one you absolutely loathe who deserves every horrible thing that could ever possibly happen to them. And now imagine that is Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, the great and vast world power that in a series of military campaigns in the 8th century BC destroys the northern kingdom of Israel and reduces the southern kingdom of Judea to a vassal state. Nineveh was an oppressive foreign imperial power. Now one would think that Jonah would be thrilled to carry a message of judgment and condemnation to his worst enemy, that God was going to destroy them. And I think he would have gladly carried that message. So why did he disobey God and run away that first time? This is the reason. Jonah was afraid that God might, in fact, have mercy on them. And his hardened and resentful heart could not bear the thought that somehow his greatest and most despised enemies might also benefit from the saving grace of God's mercy. When the people of Nineveh do repent, the scriptures say that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. In other words, this is why I disobeyed you to begin with. Because I knew, I know that you are a gracious 
and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Even the second time that Jonah is called, and when he does obey, he does so reluctantly because he fears the possibility that his enemies might actually be saved by the mercy of God. And it turns out his fears are founded. Jonah is a faithful guy. He believes wholeheartedly in God and in the mercy of God, the saving mercy of God. He just doesn't believe that God should show that mercy everyone. At least he's honest. And if we're honest, there's probably a little bit of Jonah inside each of us. There's no question whether or not God has a calling on our lives like Jonah. He created, redeems, and equips each and every one of us for very particular purposes. As we begin this new year, let's revisit the question anew in our hearts. How is God calling us to participate in his mission of mercy? And may he give us grace to respond to his call on our lives with that same eagerness, faithfulness, and courage as those first apostles that we also heard about in today's gospel, who neither second-guessed nor deferred nor delayed, but immediately dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. Remember, like a stone thrown into a glassy pond, our response to God's call, our actions, send forth ripples that reverberate and affect, for better or for ill, both God and our neighbor. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.